0: following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the time we can spend here. Lord, I pray that my words, as we look at your word, would be a blessing. I ask that as we talk about truth, we would open our eyes to where you are the truth and the foundational thing that can be for us. In your son, Jesus' name, amen. It's really hard to write an introduction to a sermon about truth. And I went about 14 different ways. So last week we talked about saying, we wanna be in the light that if the world is, is the same as it's always been. We use the words of Koheleth, the teacher from Ecclesiastes, who says, um, there is nothing new under the sun, that what we are experiencing now, while it seems fresh and new to us, is not new to the world. And so as we look at this, how do we then live as people following Jesus in our daily lives in the world around us. And we said, as we look at it, it is living in the tension of truth and love that as we walk out of our church on Sunday, we say we wanna encounter the world in truth and love, which is the way that Jesus encountered the world. He was unafraid to speak truth, but he always did it in a manner of love. We talked about how if you separate those two things, you end up in a place of either full-on legalism that is looking down your nose at everyone or in a place where everything's fine and everything is permissible and everything is okay. But instead, we wanna live in a tension of truth and love. So this week, we're gonna look at truth and say, how do we guard truth, not only in the world, but in our lives, and we're just going to dive in. Our readings from this morning come from John 17, and John 17 is this incredible chapter of scripture because it is called the High Priestly Prayer, and I love this point of the book of John because what happens is as everything is going on, Jesus takes a moment to step back And he prays a prayer and it's called the high priestly prayer because what priests did is they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were the religious leaders, but their main job was to bring the sacrifice to the altar. And so what Jesus is doing in the high priestly prayer is he knows he is coming as the sacrifice for all. So he steps up not just to be the sacrifice, but to pray a prayer for all. To say, as my people, Lord, he, he, he and the Father are one, but he comes in this prayer to the Father and he says, this is what I want for my people. And I love it in so many different ways because it is a blessing for us, but it is grounded in a reality that acknowledges that life will not be easy. Sometimes as Christians, we can believe that with the blessing of Jesus and him walking alongside of us, what he's doing is he's come to make our life easier. Well, look through scriptures and we can quickly find that's not true. I love, there's there's a clip of a sermon that I watched a long time ago and it's a pastor and he talks about John the Baptist and that from Jesus's mouth comes the phrase, Uh, no one greater was born than John the Baptist. So if you think maybe I can achieve a level of Christianity, just know that Jesus has said, John the Baptist, he's tops, right? So in our day and age, the idea of being a great Christian, you know, maybe he's got a great business on the side and he's working all these things. No, John is beheaded because he speaks the truth. And I love this pastor says, yeah, follow God, it might end badly. Right? That's a fun thing to preach. Follow God, it might end badly. But you see what, when Jesus comes, when he prays this prayer, what he is praying for us is that we would remain in him. That as we look and we encounter the world, that both how we encounter truth, his truth, the truth of scripture, but also the truth of how we live our lives, that it would all rest in who he is. So what we're gonna do today is walk through these verses of the high priestly prayer. We're just gonna take time and walk through and see what is Jesus revealing about truth through this prayer. So if you wanna pull up John 17, uh, we've got some Bibles in the back if you need one, or just use an app, that's great. Um, but what we're going to do is we're just going to slow walk these verses. So John 17, 13, Jesus prays, but now I am coming to you. He's speaking to the Father, talking about his sacrifice. And he says, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So as he prays, as he says, I am coming to you, I'm returning to the Father, I pray these things that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The truth of Jesus brings joy. Now, joy is different than happiness, right? Happiness is fleeting. Joy is a bedrock. Joy can be present when you are happy, but it can also be present in deep sorrow. That the joy of the Lord is my strength, is a possibility for us that we learn in the dark times there can be joy in the Lord. And it doesn't make sense, except when we remember this prayer of Jesus when he says, may my joy be fulfilled in them. That his joy of sacrificing for us, this deep truth of who Jesus is, be fulfilled in his followers. Truth brings joy. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So here we see the gift of the word of God. Now this is something that we can pass by, I think sometimes a little too quickly because we have access to scripture in ways that have been unknown before this time. Now, he said there's nothing new under the sun. It's just the speed at which we can access them. They're on your phone. They're on the internet. They're everywhere you can go in different languages, in different translations, and all of these things. We have access to the word of God. Can you imagine trusting in Jesus and waiting to hear these gospels? And here every day we can open up our Bibles and say, this is the word of God for my life. This is the truth he's speaking into who I am. And he continues it with this phrase. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, this is something that gets misconstrued a lot. Because we read this and think, oh, if we're to be good Christians, then the world has to hate us. Because Jesus said, they, you know, they hate me. The world hates them just like it hated me. But we got to take a step back. We shouldn't be going out of our way to be hated. Which can be our problem sometimes. That we go out of our way to be like, listen, Jesus said we were going to be hated. So we should just be a bunch of jerks. But our number one hermeneutic, which is how do we read scripture, is this phrase. Scripture interprets scripture. So as we start in that first place, so we read this verse and we say, okay, the world's going to hate us. Sweet. If people hate me, I'm following Jesus. But we look throughout scripture, especially in the apostles' writings, and we see over and over again that as we encounter the world, we are to do it with gentleness and respect. Over and again, those words pop up. That as we encounter the world, we're not supposed to be out here yelling and screaming and tearing down others for our benefit because, and we're going to get to this a little more in a second, truth can be a tricky thing because when we unhitch truth from love, when we let go of gentleness and respect, truth becomes about how do we get people to hate us because then we know we have the truth. But Jesus over and again tells us, listen, no, they're going to hate you, not because of all those things, they're going to hate you because it doesn't make sense. In the past two days, an article has come out that revealed that the shooter who died in the shooting in Nashville at the Covenant School, their funeral was paid for By the church. The church at where the school happened, or where the school is, they paid for the funeral of the shooter who came in and destroyed the lives of students and faculty in that school. The speed at which people said, the church just wanted good PR, blew my mind. It was whiplash. I was like reading this article going, I don't know if I could do that. As a pastor, that would be a difficult thing for me to say, yes, these children I know and love, my children go to this school. Yes, we will step in as the people of God and do this. And then to keep quiet about it, that it was revealed in an article months later. But there is this misunderstanding in the world that says, you're just doing it for PR, where we say, listen, Christ died for sinners. And that is a strange thing. Now, what I don't want to do is say, let's put, let's, let's put that church on a pedestal. I'm just saying, they reacted in the way Jesus called them to react. But the pushback is, well, it's all about what is in it for them. But you see, when you can live in the truth of Jesus, You understand the world may hate you, but you still do what Jesus tells you to do. That even if the national media decided to pick up and down this church, or there were protests or all these things, I still think you should do it. Why? Because Jesus tells you to. The hate the world gives is because they don't understand that we didn't earn this that we didn't do something for the love of God, that he gives it to us. In fact, if we go back to two chapters before, John 15 is this incredible section of scripture and it starts off with, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me will bear much fruit. Incredible chapter of scripture. But it goes on to say this in verses excuse me, 15 through 18. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the, the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love One another. And I want to take those verses before we get to the final verse there of 18. I want to pull this apart. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend. I want to stop on that. The truth that Jesus brings is that he says, I do not call you servant, I call you friend. I want you to imagine that. The God of the universe who sends his son to die for you says, you are no longer servants, you are friends because you know what I'm about. Last week, um, I was doing bedtime routine and a book was requested by an author named Max Lucado. Max Lucado lives in San Antonio and I thought, okay, And for me, it was more like, oh, this is a long book. It's bedtime. Like, let's, okay. You know, so here we are. But this book, the whole premise is about um, there's a village of wooden puppets, that there's a master craftsman up the hill, and he crafts all these puppets. And the puppets, you know, they don't have strings. They interact with each other. But they give each other gold stars or gray dots, stickers, stickers, for how they feel about each other. And it's all about this one puppet who's a little bit ugly, a little bit, you know, broken down and all he gets is gray stickers. And he's frustrated and he's sad and he's angry, but then he meets another puppet that the stickers don't stick to. And he says, well, how how do you get that to happen? I want that for me. And this puppet tells him, oh, every day I go up to the carpenter's shop and I spend time with the carpenter. And so he ventures up there, and the carpenter calls him by name, and they spend time together, and he starts talking about this, and he goes, well, I don't want the stickers to stick to me. He goes, just keep coming back. And the book ends not with this puppet who had all these gray stickers, and they all fall off, but just with one sticker falling off. And let me tell you, I'm trying here to end bedtime not weeping to myself because this foolish little book that's about, you know, wooden puppets by, and I'm like, I get it, Max Lucado, you did it. It's God, it's Jesus, it's us. Like we're creation, I'm in, I'm on board. But all of a sudden in my own life, I go, the creator of the universe who knit me together in my mother's womb says, come spend time with me. Come be with me. I love you. And listen, he says that and he says, you are my friend. The truth in that for us is that when we live, when he calls us out, he calls us as friends that sometimes our identity says, I have to live in truth. And if I have to live in truth, I have to do everything God says and I have to do it perfectly and I have to do all these things. And the foundational bedrock below us is God hands us an identity and then identity isn't work harder. That identity isn't be a little better. That identity isn't you messed it up this week. The identity is you're my friend. That's who I call you. And I love that he follows it with, and remember, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You ever been in a friendship where you're the one who chose and then that friend's kind of like, well, I'm kind of done. That's a tough place to be. But listen, God says, yeah, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You can't get rid of me. My choosing doesn't end. And I appointed that you should bear much fruit so that you will love one another. And then this is verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. We're not seeking to be hated. But we understand the foundational truth of who we are as friend of God that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is who we are. And so we seek to follow him in all that he does. John 17, 15 through 16, I do not ask that you take them, us, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Living in truth doesn't mean we retreat. There's temptation for us to wall off and build higher castles to keep out the infection of the world around us. And Jesus himself prays and says, do not take them out of the world, defend them in it. Listen, we don't build walls. What is our our rallying cry? God is my refuge and strength, my ever-present help in times of trouble. He is the fortress. He is the redeemer. So for us, truth is about saying, we don't retreat. We live in where Jesus takes us. 17 through 19, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world so that I, you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctification is the process of God recreating us. In the garden, he created humanity and said, it is good. And then the fall into sin breaks everything. Sanctification is that process of bringing us closer and closer to who we were created to be. And so he says, I am consecrated to sanctify, to work that truth in our lives. Notice where the truth is pointing, us. Are there things in the world we're gonna have to push back against and say, this is not the way of God? Yes, but his number one thing is changing us, is bringing us into line with the truth. And I love this because he's not only thinking about the people around them, he's thinking about you. I do not ask these only, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. The high priestly prayer was not just for the people physically surrounding Jesus then, it is for all of us. He prays for those who are going to hear because of their word which we are of that lineage. Guarding truth is not about us running out and trying to defend God in every aspect we can. Guarding truth is about saying, Lord, may your truth work in me. May I live as a friend of God. May I seek your ways above all else. And may I work even though the world may hate me, may I work as you have called me to work, not as the world works. So let me end this sermon with, I think, the key point. The truth is God calls you friend. That through his work on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, no matter what you've done, he says, you are my friend. I chose you. The waters of baptism sealed you with him. Nothing can take that. So as we seek to live in truth, guard that truth in your heart that you are a friend of God. And no matter what the world says, you belong to him. Let's pray. Lord, there are many things vying for our attention, vying to tell us what truth is. The enemy is at work to distract us from who you are. So we would ask that you would constantly remind us over and over again about that central truth that you have called us friend. That we are saints, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. We give thanks that he would take time in his high priestly prayer to remember us. That he wasn't just praying for those who walked alongside him in Judea and Galilee, but he was praying for us as we walk in Round Rock, and Georgetown, in Pflugerville, in Austin, in Leander, in Cedar Park, Lord, wherever we may go, that that prayer is for us. We rejoice in that good news. In your son Jesus' name, amen.